0: So today, I want to talk about the third jhana. And remember what we were saying with the pacing of the teachings will uh, almost certainly not be the pacing of your practice, and if it is that we actually don't want, don't want that. Um, so you might cross over your, your optimal pacing of practice for this retreat may you know intersect the uh, trajectory of the pacing of the teachings at one point, um, but it shouldn't more than that, right? Because you're going at your optimum pace for marination, for mastery, for, right? Okay, so the third jhana. Uh, what does the Buddha say about the third jhana? if you If you get hold of the, the, you know the text of the Pali canon it 's about a shelf load full of volumes um, i don 't know if anyone 's counted how many times he talks about jhana in there, but it 's a lot it 's really really a lot, so much so that they barely they barely print it again they just say as as before as before as before um, just to give you a sense of I- I- if that it suggests uh, that maybe how much priority he he put on the jhanas in his way of teaching that doesn 't mean everyone needs to learn the jhanas there are there are i mean some people think that one of my teachers said if if there 's no jhana there 's no no liberation i 'm not sure I agree. Um, I would tend not to agree but uh, but it does seem looking at the Buddha that he put you know there 's I think two suttas where he really talks about mindfulness. So in I don't know how many suttas in the whole Pali canon. Does anyone know, roughly? Thousand? I'm not sure. So two of those thousand, let's say it's a thousand, uh, are about mindfulness, one of which you'll be very familiar with, the Satipatthana sutta. And, and And then there's a lot, a lot, a lot of suttas on jhana practice. So we've we've kind of inherited a sense of a norm that pr- probably doesn't actually historically reflect uh, the kinds of practice that that certainly the monastics were d- were doing. Anyway, so here he is speaking about the jhanas again. Mm. Speaking to a group of monks, uh, and so he's just gone through the first and second jhana, and and then he says, and furthermore. With the fading of piti, with the fading of rapture, he, the monk practicing, remains in equanimity, mindful and alert, and physically sensitive to sukha. With the fading of rapture, he remains in equanimity, mindful and alert and physically sensitive to, to sukha. He enters and remains in the third jhana, and of him, the noble ones, the enlightened ones declare, Equanimous and mindful, he has a pleasurable abiding, and the monk permeates and pervades, suffuses and fills this very body with the sukha divested of piti, with the sukha with the piti uh, removed, filtered out, gone from it. So with the f- uh, pervades, permeates and pervades, suffuses and fills this f- this very body with happiness divested of piti so that there is nothing of his entire body unpervaded with sukha, divested of piti. And then uh, really, go- to me, very gorgeous appealing s- simile, just as in uh, a pond of blue, white, and red lotuses. There may be some of the blue, white, or red lotuses which, born and growing in the water, stay immersed in the water and flourish without standing up out of the the water, so that they are permeated and pervaded, suffused and filled with cool water from their roots to their tips. And nothing of those blue, white, or red lotuses would be unpervaded with cool water. Even so, the monk, or just so, the monk permeates this very body with the sukkha divested of rapture. There is nothing of his entire body, unpervaded with sukha, divested of rapture. Okay, so when we come to talk about jhana factors, I couldn't find the sutta. It's possible that there's times when the Buddha actually says, the first jhana has five factors, the second jhana has... uh, two two factors, uh, three factors excuse me, the third jhana has two factors and, and etc. But I couldn't find it. Anyway, um, most people agree that the third jhana has only two jhana factors, sukha and ekagata. So, but th- but this text I've just read from the Buddha says all this other business, right? It says It says, it says, where's it gone? Um, Equanimous... Mm -mm -mm. Uh, With the fading of PT, he remains in equanimity, mindful and alert. Uh, Mindful is sati, um, equanimity, upekka in Pali, you probably know those words. The alert, the actual word is sampajana, which some people translate as clearly comprehending. It goes a lot with the sort of mindfulness language and it's very prevalent in the mindfulness sutta. So you've got these other uh, elements or aspects that uh, clearly the Buddha's is pointing to, but they don't qualify as jhana factors. I think there's something that once you practice um, third jhana, we'll see something similar in the fourth jhana, there's something a little bit misleading about the Buddha's description. So. It's not at all the case that there isn't mindfulness and alertness and equanimity in the third jhana. There absolutely is, but the primary nimitta is sukha without piti, and or is actually sukha, pure sukha, if you like. Now, pure sukha, sukha without piti, is actually quite an, quite a rare thing for a human being. So, mostly, even in non-jhānic states, we experience happiness with a bit of certainly when we're laughing or giggling or whatever it's got that kind of upwell to it it's got sort of let's say protogonic factors of pt and sukha in it it's quite rare to have happiness without without pt i use the word and i think what's more accurate speaking from an experiential point of view is that the primary nimitta of the third jhana is peacefulness peacefulness um, and that peacefulness is almost unbelievably lovely. Uh, it is warm it 's uh, tender it 's very very refined so if you 're any in any doubt you know uh, have I reached the n- the next jhana or wherever you 've been one One uh, way of knowing is, is it more refined than the jhana that you've come from? So you may have moved from something where the the dominant element in the citta is happiness to a state where the dominant element in the citta is uh, something like peacefulness. But if that peacefulness is not a total quantum leap in refinement, then it's unlikely that you've moved from the second to the third jhana. So that's one thing to look for. And remember what I said this Actually, what's happening—the whole spectrum of the jhanas—is is there's this uh, increasing refinement as we as we develop through the jhanas. That's the, in a way, w- well, let's just say one of the key elements. So there's something very lovely. There's a warmth. There's a real tenderness. It's it's got heart qualities in it in a very, a very kind of soft, um, undramatic way. Well, undramatic. It might be dramatic when you first enter it in terms of it really is breathtaking, but the the way those qualities pervade the space is not dramatic in terms of the heart qualities. There is an increase in refinement, it is a very refined state. There is really, I would say, it is very beautiful. There is something, again, almost breathtakingly beautiful about it. Um, It feels very healing. There is something about that space and bathing oneself and dissolving one's body and heart and mind in that space that just feels naturally organically healing again in a very sort of un- undramatic quiet but very powerful way uh, in terms of healing the heart and I- etc there's love in it there's, well there's metta in it let's say that there's metta in it organically you don't have to make that happen and uh there's a kind of all these qualities are just part of the radiant glow of that space of that of that jhanic territory. So yes, there's mindfulness, yes there's alertness, and yes there's equanimity. But we would expect mindfulness and alertness in any jhana. Here they may be upgraded quite a bit um, to what m- most people, unless you've really gotten into a mem- momentum on a mindfulness retreat and really. There, there's quite you know there's a lot of mindfulness and alertness and yes there's equanimity but let's come back to that one at the end because most people what w- most people who haven't experienced let's say the third and fourth jhana um, there what, what one will understand by the word equanimity based either on one's daily life or on uh, meditation practice insight meditation practice is we're really talking about different level here, a different flavor, and so that's why I said it can be a little misleading if we focus on the other words right now. There is equanimity. I'll come back to that. So in my experience, and part of the way I, I teach this, is so that's, that's the third jhana, all that loveliness. I would actually break it down into three levels. So the, the third jhana itself has three levels, and um, I did read a text Somewhere, I think it was in the Vasudhi Magha, a passage in S- saying different jhanas break into three levels or two levels or something. But I don't recall it actually describing what those levels are. I don't know whether this this division that I'm making now, based on experience and uh, and teaching experience, whether that corresponds to the Maga I don't. I don't personally really mind either way. I just find this very helpful, and a lot of other people do. So there's three levels. The first level, and I'll. Following the Buddha's lovely simile of this this gorgeous cool pond in a hot climate, the first level near the top, as as you say, because there's a descent through the jhanas, and one feels them that way. The first level is 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 characterized actually. If I had to put an English word to it, it would be like contentment or satisfaction, or perhaps something like fulfillment. But that's a more complicated word, I think. So something like contentment and satisfaction, but again unlikely to be the kinds of I- I- the level of contentment the full the fullness the degree of contentment and satisfaction at the beginning of the third jhana is unlikely to be something that we've experienced in daily life um, it's really of a different order there the second level the middle level is is uh the peacefulness Uh, comes to dominate. But in a way, it feels like my peacefulness. I'm peaceful, this space here is peaceful. It's not that I'm thinking, oh mine, mine, and I'm hanging on to it in any way. It's just, I partly sees that only in contrast when one's gone to the deeper level, the third level, which kind of feels more like a realm of peacefulness. One's in a realm. One's in a, a, a vast space, or one has a sense, let's say that's a better way to put it, one has a sense of a space of peacefulness, a vast space pervaded by peacefulness, a world of peacefulness. So at this point it really is, and I'll come back to this, it really is like I've, I've entered a different world here, as opposed to 1st jhana, 2nd jhana, something extraordinary is happening, in my body, in my chitta, in my consciousness, in my energy body, here at times it can feel like I've, I've really entered a different world. So those are the three levels that I would, uh, I would demarcate um, and encourage people to find, but the order in which they will be revealed to you may not be one, two, three. In other words, you may find yourself first in the middle one or the third one or, or whatever. No rush, in time they will all become um, apparent and we want them to all become familiar and just as we have mastery with regard to a a jhana, I can go there directly or whatever, you can also navigate within a jhana. So if you wanted to, you can go from the fourth jhana to the the most superficial level of the third jhana, that contentment or, or whatever, you can just jump to wherever. No rush with that, it's part of the mastery, it's part of really knowing them it will emerge just from, just from um, everything that we've been doing, sitting with it, walking with it, being in it, but keeping the sensitivity, the antennae uh, uh, tuned, alive, alert, subtly discriminating, noticing, and, just in and enjoying. And, and these things will get revealed. So how does one, how does one um, access, how does one enter the third jhana? One way is uh, to well, yeah. W- one way is to just be in the second jhana with the happiness, but really drink it, really drink and drink and drink that happiness, um, drink and drink and enjoy that drinking. We have a thirst we don't even recognise and and in a way we need to we need to slake that thirst just drink and drink and enjoy and at a certain point um at a certain point one uh one may realize oh the Im prom- the, m- the, pr- the prominent most prominent emotion has changed it 's actually gone from happiness to this satisfaction to this contentment why because i 've drunk enough i 've actually satisfied that thirst and sometimes at first one doesn 't one may not realize that shift if it g- if it goes to that level um, it may as i said jump to a, a deeper level um, but but one one way of, of of moving here from the second to the third, is just really drink that happiness and really, really enjoy it, and really open to all the things we've been saying. I need to really tune to it, really stay with it, um, and take it in and bathe in it and enjoy it, drink it. A second possibility, though, is um, is that as we've mentioned a couple of times in here, it's come up in questions. You know, uh, the ha- The happiness of the second jhana has a range to it, right? Um, And at the deep end, it's actually more subtle. Technically speaking, it's got more pt in it, and at the deep end of the second jhana, it's got less pt in it. The pt is drained out. That's why the happiness there is more serene. It's that corresponds with the Buddha's description. But in a way, there's a way of understanding the second jhana as a kind of transition jhana. Pt and sukha in the first jhana with a lot, a lot of pt dominating, less and less pt all the way through the second jhana until the pt is 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 drained out and you're just left with this purified sukha. So that's one way of understanding it. There's a kind of spectrum of less and less pity, and correspondingly, there's a spectrum of more and more subtleized happiness. Okay, so you can either drink your fill with the happiness or go with this, uh, ride the spectrum down into more and more subtlety. Um, Eventually, like all the other jhanas, if we're talking about mastery, you can just summon it. You don't need any, you don't need to go from the second jhana, you don't need to do anything, you just. Remember the third jhana and call it back by a subtle intention. If one is going through the letting the happiness get more and more subtle, um, absolutely, totally crucial that the attention needs to get increasingly subtle with it, and and that you need to get really into it. If again, if it's like subtle piti, subtle happiness. it doesn't need to be strong for me to totally relish it and totally enjoy it and totally get into it. So if the attention is not fully maximally subtle, and if I'm not fully maximally enjoying it, what I will end up with is a state of peacefulness, or perhaps will end up with, um, is either I'll get lost or fall asleep, or a kind of state of peacefulness that is actually slightly dull, slightly insensitive, And and the peacefulness will not be so alluring and so uh, magical in that way. But even these words, dull and insensitive, if again to most people they mean something quite gross. At this level, we're talking about you know dullness. We're also talking about really subtle dullness, really subtle insensitivity. So compared to our normal state of consciousness, they're not they're not gross obvious defects. But if I'm taking that second method of, of going down in terms of the subtlety of the happiness, I absolutely have to um, really be on my toes with, with the attention. Really subtlizing the attention, really getting into it, really making sure I'm opening, enjoying, penetrating, all the rest of it. So there's a slide, but where that slide takes us to depends on how very much on how, how what the mind is doing and what the relationship with it is. So, what that all implies to me is the safest bet, actually, is the first way, just drink that happiness. Drink it, and drink it, and drink it, and drink it, and and open it, slake your thirst. This kind of, I don't know what we'd call it, a satellite, non Jhanic state of equanimity or peacefulness, Um, as we've mentioned several times in here, and I've said it's it it can be likely that one goes there because of the habitual tracks and momentum of one's previous insight meditation practice. We talked about this, right? If you practice mindfulness, and once that gets going, you're basically practicing a kind of let go, let go, let go. And as I'll come back to at the end today, that will take you into some or other state of equanimity. Um, it's, a, it's, an, it's a very okay state, it's a s- relatively speaking, it's a skillful state, but it's unlikely. To it's unlikely that it's the third jhana. Okay, if that's just oh, I recognise this place from before, kind of quiet place I've got to sometimes in on retreats before, whatever it is, peaceful. It's t- it seems to match. Well, there's peacefulness, there's mindfulness, there's equanimity, there's alertness, etc. But it's unlikely um, to to be that. I-, I mean, it might be, but it's unlikely. Um, so again, what this partly implies to me is to May be safest to go with the first one drink, drink, drink the happiness um, and keep kind of see if you can keep it at a certain bandwidth where it 's really this is uh, I- I this is you know um, obvious happiness and it's it 's not you know something quite strong. It may be possible um, that uh you know that kind of non-jhānic equanimity, peacefulness state can get kind of nudged, manoeuvred into a jhānic uh, state, like the third jhāna, um, if you hang out there. So this is the kind of state I remember from my insight retreats. And if I if I hang out there, but really the attention has to be really, really alive, really subtle, um, and really maximising the enjoyment. Really trying to find what's most pleasurable in here. It may be possible for some people that then that that sort of more familiar insight state of equanimity, um, with with very care- careful work, play goes uh, becomes the third jhana. But it will likely, it will probably be much more likable and much clearer um, experiences of the third jhana if they go through if they go through the second jhana in the way that I was. Either of the ways I was talking about, but more likely that that drinking one. Um, so m- then m- m- you'll more likely end up in what's definitely jhana territory, rather than a sort of relatively skillful, uh, or only a sort of relatively skillful peace or, or equanimity. So, like I said, this um, in relation to differentiating this third jhana from from those kind of relatively. Peaceful sort of states that we might know of equanimity or peace to a certain degree, and what we might call might call sort of satellite states maybe. Um, the third genre again is is breathtakingly touching. There's something that touches the being, impresses on the the body, the heart, the soul very very profoundly. It's really very touching. Um, as I said, a, be- a beautiful a beauty there. It's very beautiful. Extra, really, an extraordinary state, uh, and it really, it really is very. It really does impress on the whole being. So, yes, this differentiation between states. And remember, I said I contradict myself many times. And sometimes we don't need to worry so much about: Am I in it? Am I out? Where exactly is is the boundary? Instead, just work and play with this care, which gets very fine now, the work and play, but it's still sassy, still sassy at this level. And wor- rather than, am I in, am I out? Just keep playing with the sassy, and let let your work and play uh, be also quite subtle and intense, but in this very subtle, very gentle way. So I actually have to learn that about how to work intensely without... Um you know, without being too crude and too heavy-handed and too pressured. So I can't remember, I th- I thought it was in the Pali Canon, something the Buddha said, but it might be in the Um There's a simile of a desert traveler, someone who's been walking for days and days across a desert, uh, going from somewhere to somewhere, and they're parched with thirst, and they're weary, and they're dirty, and sand is everywhere, and staggering along, and then in the distance uh, uh, they see, or even someone tells them, they see an oasis, and that uh, relief, and glee, and um, excitement even that they feel, that corresponds to the first jhana, it's not a mirage, it's an it's actual oasis. And the second jhana in this simile um, is uh, they reach the oasis and they flop down by, by the side of it on their hands and knees and they just drink and drink and drink that cool water. And their, their thirst, which has built up over wandering, the desert is samsara basically. and uh, their thirst is is begins to be slaked. They need to drink a lot. They are pretty dehydrated. They need to drink and drink and drink. And the third jhana, at a certain point, they just decide, I'm just going to get in. <laughs> and they just uh, Im- immerse themselves into this beautiful, cool, uh, spring-fed pond with lotuses there, and they just dunk themselves, and they wash their body, and they submerge themselves, and they drink some more, and all that. That's the third jhana. So, like I said, the y- uh, or like I pointed to, you know, the ordinary usage in English of words like happiness and peacefulness and equanimity, doesn't really capture. The kind of degree and depth and beauty and um, impact uh, and the sort of uh, or the whole other level that we're talking about here uh, with with jhanic factors and jhanic words and certainly when you get to the the third jhana that's the case. Okay, so a little bit about working in in the the third jhana. As I mentioned, the third level is. to me, it feels like a kind of a, a sense of a realm, of a, of a much wider, perhaps a vaster space even. But this is quite important, the focus within that sense of I'm in, a, I'm in a whole other world here. The focus, the primary focus needs to still be the whole body space, the energy body space. So you can still be aware uh, I'm really in this other, other realm but the jhana will only stabilize and deepen, and you 'll only get m- its its uh maximal fruits if if the primary focus is on the w- the whole body space just so it 's actually bit bit bigger you know so it might be you know as much as two feet in front of you even or or whatever that sort of space around the energy body um, and you work with the, the same you might work with these two modes of attention the narrow focused penetrating, or the wide open receiving, abandoning, surrendering, or you might find others wrapping around or dissolving into all kinds. But basically the focus is the energy body and moving gently um, in a very unhurried way, playing with these different modes of attention. That's what's going to consolidate it, allow it to get deeper, uh, etc. So. This in the third level, the sense of um, that realm is that, that sort of vaster realm is still there, but it 's not the primary focus. Yet we can still be uh, touched by it, allow ourselves to have a sense of the appreciation of that, of that lovely space, that larger, lovely space, um, appreciate it, be touched by it, and it ob- 's kind of otherworldly sense. And the other, other, the sense of really visiting another realm, of being admitted into another kind of more blessed realm, in a way. Um, so it's if I say the primary focus is with the, with the whole body and the energy body, it doesn't mean that I'm still not aware of this realm and I can't still feel the beauty of that and the and the loveliness of that. And one can kind of invite or imagine bringing in or just bring in that sense of peacefulness from the bigger space um, in or just allow it in, open the energy body space to it. So in some way or another, all all that uh, lovely, lovely peacefulness from that space, you, you bring it in to the energy body if you need to. Sometimes, and I think this came up in uh, someone asked a question, so it's come up earlier, but I'll say it again. But, um, sometimes, what happens, um, but this 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 should only be the kind of thing that happens and that you're playing with after you've had quite a lot of experience with the third genre. Sometimes, what happens is it hasn't quite settled yet. It's not quite consolidated. It's not. I'm not quite into it yet. Although well, I've had many experiences before of it, and all I can find then is is. Is like a filament, the barest, subtlest sort of um, magical thread, very, very faint, very subtle, of that of the te- that has the taste of that peacefulness. And all I can find is one, and maybe it's in one place in, in my body. Now, body might be body; it's in, I say, oh, in my belly or whatever. Or body might be. Remember when I said, when I say whole body, it means the space, right? I said that defining at the beginning. Right? So when I again here I say it's not necessarily uh, I'm not correlating it with any part of my anatomy. It's just somewhere in this space, and it f- but it feels like it's l- connected with my body. Usually things get feel like they l- they start getting lower down. The center of the attention starts get lo- getting lower down. Maybe even the place where initially the in this case the peacefulness is stronger is lower down the body. That's common, but there are always exceptions. And eventually, obviously, we want the whole space to be filled with that peacefulness. But sometimes, what happens? A lot of experience, and, oh and this this session, it's not quite d- it's not quite going so well. Or, but it's fine. I can tell. S- I can tell. I just need to play a little bit. And all I can find is this one really, really subtle thread. And I I, I start to follow that. I'm tuning to it, and I'm just. Enjoying that thread and attuning the attention to it and finding the beauty in it, and that that just that relationship with that thread, so to speak, uh, that filament of it starts to allow the whole thing to spread. Starts to allow that the, the peacefulness, the fabric of that filament of that thread, to spread throughout the whole space. Um, often by itself, so it might, you know, you can still do the spreading stuff, of course, but often you'll find it just spreads by itself at this point. Now, I don't know if I said it in relation to the second jhana, but something similar can happen with the second jhana. If you've had a lot of experience with the second jhana, really clear experience with the second jhana, a lot in and out many times, then sometimes, again, it's it's sort of, oh, today's not quite kind of got into it, or it's there, but it's really not strong. It's kind of in boundary territory, in borderline territory. Um, Again, sometimes uh, it might be, a, f- a, a, a trickle uh, that I'm drinking from a trickle, just a just a, a little trickle from a fountain. But I'm drinking it, and I'm really enjoying it. And again, if I don't get into that, well, oh it was better yesterday or whatever. And I'm just really drinking. Then that trickle, I follow that trickle. I tune to its qualities. I enjoy it. All all the same things, and it can build from there. Well, in a way, it's true for the first because of how we've been talking about a possi- the, the two possibilities of Pt arising, that one of them is like the ember and glowing. So, in a way, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Sometimes what happens in... Uh, or sometimes what happens with, again, with quite a bit of experience with the third jhana already, one of the things... Um Remember, like I said, when when you, when you encounter a new territory, a new jhanic territory, a new level of consciousness, whatever you want to call it, a new state of, of consciousness, um, the first few experiences are often like a dam bursting. And it's just that everything is perfect and wow, and there's no effort involved, or very little effort. Um, after a while, then it's like, ah, oh, then, then certain subtle work, subtle play, um, is obviously needed. It's not that one's gone backwards, this is just the natural maturation of things. If one is not noticing subtle work and play, I would say I'm not sure that one is practicing what the Buddha would call right concentration because there isn't a deg- there isn't that degree of sensitive uh, subtle discernment to actually notice, oh, I see that's different, you know, or this uh, this thing or that thing. So, um one of the things that can that one can notice after a while that can happen sometimes is that it's almost like there's a mental kind of this there's a there's a mental aspect of this lovely peacefulness this gorgeous peacefulness, and there's so to speak a physical aspect of this um gorgeous peacefulness uh in other words felt in the energy body and they can become separated the the some sometimes the mental and the physical peacefulness can become separated. We want them integrated. We want the whole thing, the whole, you know, like, uh, let's say, clearly Jhanic experience have integrated uh, all all these elements. So we want them integrated. So it could be that you know you're pr- you've know you practiced really a fair amount with the third jhana, in and out, and you've really got used to it, and then you start to notice this sometimes. Occasionally you start to notice this. Um, it could be either of those comes first. Like I'm experiencing a, a mental peacefulness that I recognize from the third jhana, but not the, the bodily. Or the other way around. Okay, so it could be either, um, but they're not integrated, and they're not. One is at, ab- one is present, one is not absent. Um, breath, the breath can really help to integrate them, um, or I suppose the metta at that point. Um, but the breath, particularly if you've been doing, if you've been doing breath practice, especially because um, it will. But breath anyway is something that. Uh Kind of, it's very easy for the. It, how to say it's. There's a way that the mind can follow the breath, uh, not just follow it with attention, but follow. Uh, th- the way the breath is tells us how the mind is. The way someone's breath is, it. it uh, you know this at a very gross level. Um. So the mind and breath are quite related. So bringing the breath back in, if you've been working with the breath, can be quite helpful at integrating uh, the the mental and the physical. So that's why y- you know this this relationship between breath and mind. You know, it said mostly we're taught not not to manipulate the breath in meditation, right? You just watch it, but breath does give. How my breath is at any moment does reflect how my mind is at any moment, and so in a way the mind is shaping the breath. But if I, I it also like so many things, if the if the causality seems to work one way, it often works the other way too. If I shape the breath, I can affect my mind. And That's why we, st- w- you know, when we started with this really longest breath, and so the, and with the energy body breathing really long breaths because we often need more energy. And then that's why the, the, the Anapanasati Sutta starts with breathing in long, you know, this Turner, whatever that person was doing, um, breathing in long and then breathing in short. To me, it's deliberate, because the manipulation of the breath manipulates the mind. Which, if you're trying to settle the mind, is, is what you're trying to do anyway. So you actually settle the mind, shape the mind through playing gently, subtly, responsively with the breath. Anyway, breath, in, int- w- breath integrates or is a bridge or straddles uh, body and mind. And so at this point, if the mental peacefulness uh, is there, but the bodily peacefulness is not, or vice versa, uh, bringing the breath back in can help. can help, one of the things that can help integrate them. Um, But really, with these rupa jhanas, with these first four jhanas, is I say, body, 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 um, it's maybe more likely for people to feel like they're experiencing a mental peacefulness, and there really isn't the sense of that peacefulness pervading the body, like to that degree. So as I said, there may be a a thread or just a place in the energy body. It's just a, a location in this space of the energy body. It may be very, very subtle and tuning to that, focusing on it, following it, enjoying it, etc. Or it may be there is a sense of here is this realm. It may be I have already got a sense of the third level, but it is still not integrated and, and settled. And I want to kind of immerse the body in that realm, immerse the body in the peacefulness. But I have to get the body involved. So always you hear in the Buddha's description, he says it in each short paragraph, he says it twice about getting the whole body involved. No spot untouched, pervading, suffusing, etc. Over and over again, body, 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 with these form jhanas. So I really have to make sure I work to get the the body sense um, filled like that, and and really involved, and really, yeah, pervaded, etc. So I can immerse um, immerse my body in this s- space of peacefulness. I can dissolve my body out, so to speak. I dissolve my energy body out into that peacefulness, or I dissolve the peacefulness into the body and um, all all these things uh, but so much has to do with tuning again it 's really again what we're t- what 's happening in each jhana is not that we 're paying attention to it and keeping our mind fixed on one small. Physical or one small location in space. We're tuning to a certain frequency, and the frequency that we're tuning to in the third jhana is very, very refined. So it's really about tuning at this point, tuning to that very uh, r- that s- that radio station that has that really otherworldly, you know, transcendently peaceful music. And I just want to learn learn to tune there, and really that that fine tuning, and then pay attention, attune and let things amplify from there. Experientially the third jhana is is you know, there's there's a I suppose we could say there's a there's a quantum jump in stillness from the first to the second jhana, and then there's a whole other quantum jump in stillness from the second to the third. So it's a very still state. Um, and sometimes people 's initial descriptions when they first enter it in in an interview they and um, they they' describe and they say oh it was really still um It is very still compared to what most human beings will ever have remotely remotely come near um experiencing, but yet there is actually a very very subtle gentle movement in it uh that 's p- possible that there 's very very subtle gentle movements within it. Almost. So, if you've been, you know, if if the breath is your base practice, it's almost as if you'd forgotten about the breath, and then it's almost like it can re-emerge at this point, but just really, really faint echoes of the breath. Just it's like one is almost not sure: is that the breath, or is that me just imagining a very subtle breath? In a way, it doesn't matter, but but um, there can be um, this very gentle breath or very faint echoes of the breath, whatever it is, and they uh, carry this very subtle gentle movement that's somehow there within the stillness. Um, It doesn't in any way disturb the stillness, this movement. So it's almost like the very gentle movement is somehow integrated into the stillness without disturbing it, it feels. The movement itself, this very gentle movement seems seems itself the very movement seems to express stillness, which I- in English is a contradiction in words, but the very there's something very beautiful about the movement, so it it seems to really uh, manifest or express this this lovely stillness. The image I had I think I've shared it with a few of you is um, one image you might think of for this, and that might even be helpers. Helpful as a you know tiny tincture at certain points, is imagine a kind of um, lagoon, uh, and or or, or a, a pond, and under the water, so it's fairly deep water, but under the water there th- there's as long s- some a few long strands of you know I don't know what it is, seaweed or something like that, and they're just you know how they sway sometimes really really gently and slowly something there may, may be some kind of movement in the experience that 's akin to that, but um, and that may be with the breath or or something else but uh, I just put that out yeah so like i said if you if the breath has been your base practice, then it may reemerge at this point and be reincorporated with itself i 've given all my attention to p t and happiness. And now, now it's almost like after all that commotion and excitement and bubbliness of all that, the, the breath starts to, oh, I, I I can notice it again and I can reincorporate it. But it's very subtle, very delicate. And again, the breath is peacefulness. It has become peacefulness. Just as the body has become peacefulness, the breath has become peacefulness. This movement of the seaweed at that point, the it... I don't know if you can get the sense from me, just the image. It's like the very movement is peaceful. It expresses peace, expresses a kind of stillness. If we think again about jhana factors, um, and think of them as kind of cooking ingredients, cooking or alchemy, depend. Dependent on what you what you prefer, um, as a as a metaphor, so jhana factors as cooking or alchemy ingredients. And let's think backward from from the, the Buddha's sort of definitions. The first jhana has, piti and sukha, and uh, and piti is the prominent one. The second jhana, as I said, has actually got this range. Um, uh, sukha and piti are both there, but through the range of the second jhana, the PT is getting slowly filtered out so that's uh, said that before but that's a way of understanding what's happening in the second jhana the third jhana has sukha without PT it's completely fil- completely filtered out but what that also means is that sometimes it's possible here I am in the third jhana and if I want to go to the second jhana I can just take some PT from the shelf and just pour it in a little bit, and dependent on how much I pour in, stir, uh, I will end up in a different place in the second jhana. Right? Does that make sense? So, again, to me, this is actually part of the art of uh, part of the possible uh, range of the art involved in this kind of thing. I'm actually titrating jhana factors um, in in ways that can build and and build where I want to go, or open up where I want to go. Yeah, so if I add a little PT, I'm going to end up in the deep end of the second jhana. If I add a lot of PT, I'm going to end up in the shallow end of the second jhana, where things are more bubbly, etc. I'll repeat this when we talk about the fourth jhana, but a similar thing at the fourth jhana. If I'm in the fourth jhana, and I add sukha, because the fourth jhana, the sukha has gone as well. So third jhana of the piti goes, fourth jhana of the sukka goes, we'll come back to this. If I'm in the fourth jhana and I add add sukkah, I will end up in the third jhana. So there's a whole kind of, uh, yeah, whatever you call it, alchemy or cooking uh, possibilities, mixing ingredients, etc. that becomes possible. And after time, in the third jhana, you may notice it quite early on in your sort of openings to the third jhana, that um, if the senses are open in the third jhana, you're still hearing the birds or or whatever it is, or other sounds, or even sounds that we wouldn't usually um, think of as pleasant, even sounds that we would usually think of as unpleasant. So let's say that the hearing is is open. Um, And remember, the Buddha Is actually very very clear in his words that it is not necessary for the senses to close in the first four jhanas. So if the senses are open you're still hearing which is very very normal. Um, Then what one notices at a certain point is that all phenomena, all these sounds have, um, if we're taking sound as an example, they they, they begin to be perceived as if they have one taste. There's something we notice pervading not just the so-called intra-psychic space in the jhana, but also th- the world of the se- the world outside, outside, so to speak, the world of the senses. So they have this one taste, the sounds, even an ugly sound like someone drilling somewhere or a lawnmower or whatever it is, um, begins to have this. Uh, everything has this one taste of, and the taste is of this. Um, beautiful, profound, peacefulness. So that the the, the taste starts to spread, um, and basically a kind of cosmic, deep okayness, like very deep okayness, spreads throughout the the cosmos, and everything in the cosmos seems to have that same taste. So that's a one that one an experience one can have. One probably will and and should have as part of the ripening of the third jhana. That's an experience one can have in formal meditation. And then one uh, gets up out of the meditation, you know, goes to informal practice, goes for a walk, just hangs out, has a cup of tea, and one one should begin to notice what I call the after effects on perception. Uh, To me this is a really, really important concept. It came up, I think, Wa asked um, the other day, and someone else also wrote a report in a note. The after effects on perception of, uh, in this case we're talking about jhanas, but of a particular jhana. I've got up, I'm not practicing formally anymore, I'm just walking around on the lawn or gone for a walk or whatever, and I, and I pay attention. If I'm still relatively open, relatively sensitive, relatively um, present, etc., I will begin to notice. It starts. It probably starts here most clearly in others at the third jhana, and will get get more and more obvious, and in a way more and more significant and more and more powerful in its effects um, as we go more and more through the jhanas, particularly the formal jhanas. But one notices in the after effects on perception that the world and the nature of things and the fabric of the cosmos are imbued with that peacefulness, that gorgeous, delicious, kind of al- almost mystical peacefulness. As if that is the nature of things. Peace is the nature of things. Peace is the fabric of, co- of the cosmos. This is pointing to what is probably the most significant thing in the Dharma. or it's. We have to pick it up though. We have to make the connections and we have to see it and understand it and and see it many, many times through this kind of experience, through other related kinds of insight experience, but it's pointing to the dependent arising of perception. The world, how the world appears to me, the very world that I live in is dependent on how I look at it. So everyone is living in the same world where we are, but we also aren't dependent arising the world is empty of being this way or that way ultimately any one thing is empty of being this way or that way ultimately and one way and i think one of the most powerful ways and one of the w- ways i like to emphasize in teaching is is seeing that through pl- again we're back to through playing with perception and seeing the effects of this way of looking on the perception of self other world time everything and then playing with that way of looking and seeing the effects on perception of self other world time phenomena etc and then another way of p- perceiving another way of perceiving and actually one can integrate that exp- uh, integrate the whole of the dharma into that exploration or even sum up the whole of the dharma as that exploration the the most significant thing dharmically i would say so even something like generosity, we don't tend to think of that as playing with perception. But if you practice generosity and you pay attention, and sometimes you practice a really radical generosity, and see what happens to the perception of self, of other, of world, the whole of the Dharma, all all the qualities that the Buddha is pointing out, uh, uh, pointing to, can be seen to be integrated into a certain. Movement of exploration, which is this exploration of dependent rising through playing with perception. The appearance of the world, the whole world, depends on how I'm looking at any moment. So we could also say that's a teaching about karma. Where am I reborn? Do you understand that? Do you understand how that makes sense? Shall I yeah. So, another way of saying all this is is, is a teaching on karma. If I, um, let's say, let's take two things. If I practice, let's take two two pairs: kindness or unkindness, and generosity or ungener- or stinginess. Yeah, stinginess. Yeah, kindness or unkindness, generosity and stinginess. And I practice those things. I practice stinginess. And I, uh, to different degrees, and I notice the effect on how myself feels. Not that I'm judging myself so much, but just how does myself feel? How does my energy body feel? How does myself feel more solid, more contracted, more. Um, how does the world feel? Do I feel connected with the f- world, or does the world feel con- somehow separate? Do I feel a kind of oneness, or do I feel a separation? All these things. Same thing with kindness. I practice unkindness, or kindness, or or I practice generosity. So wha- basically, what you'll realize, what you'll come to realize, if you pay careful attention to these things, really go for it as a practice, is that the the world I f- I actually perceive that I live in can can either be you know if I practice a lot of unkindness and a lot of stinginess, I will I will perceive the world as a hostile place, more and more, a cold, barren, hostile place. I have to keep looking over my shoulder. I have to there won't be a sense of uh, the, the world is a lovely place full of love and warmth and actually somehow we're all one despite the appearances of separateness. The energy body will feel brittle and hard and separate and cold and all the rest of it. Yeah. So these are just everyday examples outside of meditation. What happens in meditation is you're taking some of those kinds of things, and just cranking them up to a whole other level of power, where the effects on perception of self, other, world, and all that just become way more, way more powerfully obvious. Does that make sense? Um, so, one as a one one way of understanding what do, what actually holds everything in the Dharma together is that that exploration. Um, so we will return to this just because it's so important, um, and as I said, it's, it's even more important when we get to the formless jhanas. But this um, this whole shifts in perception with with different ways of looking, um, what we call the dependent arising of perception, the dependent arising of the world, the dependent arising of the self. That I need to see that loads of times and let it really impress on the chitta. Um, so it's through repetition, but also again, through the extending the degree of range of ways of looking, how many and also how powerful they are. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we can think of that also as a teaching about karma. I, I practice this, I do this, or I think this repeatedly, or I view the world repeatedly, and I will end up being reborn. I don't mean a thousand years from now, I mean now. Um, and. 10 minutes from now, whatever, I, I would end up being reborn in a, certain in a world that's colored a certain way. And if I practice kindness and generosity and all the other lovely, really good stuff, I'm reborn in, in a world. And we so say it was the same world, but actually it's very, very different. Yeah. Um, so we need to, I'll talk about it again, we need to see that so many times and see it over so many different kinds of ways of looking and really make the connection. Actually, so I have to have to put this, this whole idea, I have to, in a way, load it in as a cartridge, as the whole way I'm seeing practice, and then follow through with it, and then see what, see what it does. If I don't do that, it won't impress so deeply. And I have to do that many, many times through a range of different, differently, variously powerful practice and a range of kinds of practice. Um, until we get it. And the heart, the chitta gets something really deeply, and it's profoundly liberating. And uh, there's a m- mystical beauty and wonder that comes from that, from the the kind of insight that comes from that. It's, uh, I would say, an insight of a whole a whole other level. So, going back to something I said before. Um, There's three things we can we can extract out here. So experientially, and then, then relate them to insight. Experientially, I can have, one can have in the third jhana this sense of one taste. Either in the meditation or outside, everything has this one taste. And so there is actually less duality. Once one opens repeatedly to that experience, there's less duality between the jhana and, an, and a not-jhana, or meditation and the rest of the world, or even the jhanic realm and the rest of the world. One sees that actually that's the nature of the whole world. So there's less duality between a place I need to get to and the rest of the world, because all of it has this one taste of peacefulness. Does that make sense? So that's a certain opening and perception that we can have that's very uh, fruitful. We could call it... Let's just stick the label on it for now, kind of non-dualistic between jhana and the world, let's say. The jhanic realm and the worldly realm. But sometimes we can have a much more dualistic sense of the jhanas. Um, They are, and there's a passage, uh, I think it's in the Majjhima Nikaya, there's certainly more than one passage, where the Buddha describes uh, each jhana as an escape. Nisarana is the Pali. Um, uh, uh, so they're realms of escape. So this lovely, gorgeous realm of peacefulness is is a realm of escape from the world. And he's actually describing Sariputta meditating, and then Sarap- I think it's Sariputta, and he says, Actually, there's a better escape than the first jhana, the second jhana. That's a better escape than the first jhana. And then in the second jhana, after a certain time, you're There's a better escape. The third jhana is a better escape from the world than the in the second jhana, etc., etc., all, all the way through. Nisarana. Now it's true that word can mean other things. It can mean things like um, just a sort of result or a you know, when something issues in something else like a result, or it can mean a flowing out. But it's also it's related to the word nis means is a prefix that means out or outside and or going out. And sarana is a word you may know, saranam, buddang saranang gachami. What does that mean? Refuge or shelter. So a jhana as a refuge outside. Outside of the world. And and experientially again. So there's there's <laughs> that to me there is very much that thrust in the Buddhist teachings. Um again in in the context of really looking at the Pali Canon and noticing how much he talks about Jhana, how much he talks about not being reborn, etc. Let's not go there right now. But um, it can also mean a leaving behind. But there's, there's a case for he's really saying there's this escape from the world, and there's other escapes from the world: the first, second, third, fourth, etc., fifth, sixth Jhanas, etc. Um, you could say, and but there are also in an escape then from the non-peacefulness that characterizes the world. They're an escape from the non sukha that characterizes the body as it's usually experienced, and the mind as it's usually experienced, and the world as it's usually experienced. There's quite a dualistic teaching. And it points the way, or paves the way even, each jhana is a step of, or a further escape. It paves the way for the total escape of the arahant, not to be reborn into this world. Um what I would like to so we 've got this non dualistic teaching or this kind of non dualistic teaching everything 's all one taste, world and meditation, and then we 've got this kind of dualistic teaching, meditation or jhana as escape from the world, and what I would like to stress is actually that we can have both of those as experiences and they 're both very valid, and we shouldn 't make a duality between duality and non-duality. To me, that's really, really important. Because some of the most in, entrenched, unbudgeable, dualistic thinking people I've met are call themselves non-dual, non-dualists. <laughs> um, to me, that's actually really, really important. So both as experiences, both of these are blessings. That we can enter this realm, you know. You know, I've been very sick and in a lot of pain, and and just to be able to go into a realm where there is none of that, there is no uh, discomfort. There's, you know, it's really a blessing, and really a gift. Um, but one can also have the other view. Everything becomes that. So they're just views. They're just views that we can move between. What's the deeper view between? what's deeper than these two views, is this third thing that we were talking about, dependent arising. Because dependent arising, when I really understand that, it legitimizes and it opens the door for all kinds of different views. One can view dualistically, and one can view so-called non-dualistically. One understands this or that perception arises dependent, it's empty, and that gives me freedom. There's no perception of anything that is not empty. Since all perceptions are empty, in a way, there is not a hierarchy. There is not an intrinsic hierarchy. There is a hierarchy dependent on what I might want at any time. I might want to reduce suffering, but then, okay, which way of reducing suffering right now helps the best? Th- I- the hierarchy is not intrinsic. It is not, so to speak, ontologically intrinsic, but it might be practically, uh, uh, then one might hierarchize practically, so to speak. So a realm of escape, in this case, from 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 the usual realm, which is non-peacefulness and non-sukha, and that's the world, you know, and that's uh, the world as we know it. So how does this peacefulness arise? How does it arise? Um, peacefulness arises from the uh, quietening, from the um, attenuating of the push and pull of th- of the chitta in relationship to phenomena. We push away what we don't like, I prefer this thing to that thing, so I push that one away Or and or pull this one towards me, or I prefer this one and I don't want it t- to go away so I, I keep pulling on it so it won't go away. Now, we all know that happens at an extremely gross level, we literally don't leave me, and, and pulling someone or or whatever it is, or, or or literally pushing something or someone away. But the amazing thing is, it happens uh, in more subtly as well, and more subtly and more subtly. And we can um, trace that investigation into more and more subtly, uh, into more and more subtleness. Peacefulness arises from. Attenuating the degree of push and pull, and the degree of peacefulness will correspond to just how much push and pull we let go of. Equanimity, also, which is a kind of peacefulness we'll come back to it, arises from lessening the push and pull in the moment. So I'm not talking about yeah, I'm talking about meditation, now, I'm not talking about ways of living. Um, equanimity also, which is a kind of peacefulness, arises from at an attenuation of the mind's habitual moment-to-moment moment push and pull with experience. Does this make sense? Yeah. So, practically speaking, the question arises, how, how do we attenuate the pu- Does everyone know what attenuate means? Reduce. reduce. How do we reduce? How do we dampen the push and pull? If dampening the push and pull gives such profound rewards, then I want to know, how do I dampen the push and pull? Well, in a way, drinking from the second jhana, drinking and drinking and drinking, as I described earlier, until satisfaction arises, in a way, um, that's dampening the push and pull. Because satisfaction implies that I don't need to push and pull. If I'm satisfied, I don't need to change what's there i don't need to pull this thing towards me i don't need to push this thing away i don't need to hang on to anything i'm just satisfied does that make sense so drinking the second jhana is you know i don't know if it's official the proximal cause of the third jhana of the e- of the the equanimity that the buddha is talking about in the third jhana that degree of equanimity And the equanimity that the Buddha is talking about in the third jhana, is a little just side note now, it's related to that kind of peacefulness and the sense of being in a realm that's just free of disturbance and kind of undisturbable, or that the one taste has spread everywhere and then it's, it's just undisturbable. Undisturbable is another word for equanimity, or imperturbable, the Buddha sometimes uses that word, not perturbable. So but one, one way that that we might attenuate the push and pull is, is through just drinking and drinking from the second jhana. Another way, or actually a whole set of ways, a whole set of ways, is by deliberately practicing attenuating the push and pull. And this is uh, actually almost any insight way of looking, what I call insight ways of, ways of looking, any insight way of looking is, is basically doing that. And if it doesn't do that, it doesn't qualify for the name, insight, way of looking. So there are loads of them. And some of them it's very obvious that's what I'm doing. For instance, um, some of you will know this, if, if I'm working with um, what I call the second Dukkha method, I'm actually feeling in to the sense of pushing away or grabbing on or holding on. I'm feeling in, in the energy body, in the mind, in the subtle awareness, to any sense of contraction, push and pull, and then I'm relaxing it. and then I'm. F- noticing another one I'm relaxing it noticing another one relaxing it so it's very obvious that in a deliberate and uh, sustained way that's exactly what we're doing and if we just keep doing that a profound uh, lovely peacefulness w- will will open up uh, th- because the push and pull is being attenuated there's something else you know something like mm Notice, uh, you know, practicing the view of anatta, of seeing phenomena as not self, or practicing the view of seeing phenomena as impermanent, anicca, it's not often immediately obvious to people that that's what we're doing. That when we see things as impermanent, moment to moment, arising, passing, effectively what we're doing, as well as obviously seeing the impermanence, the result in the moment of seeing the impermanence, not ten years later, but in the moment, not not even a month later, in the moment, the result should be that because we see everything's flowing so fast, we just let go. We don't even have to think, oh, it's impermanent, therefore I should let go because th- because I don't want to suffer a sense of loss. It just happens automatically. It's like if you, <laughs> I don't know, if I, I, if you try and Probably a poor analogy coming up, but if you if you try and imagine sand just pouring and pouring, there's loads of the sand, and you just are trying to catch it um, in an in a net that's just completely the wrong size meshing, and it just falls, it just keeps falling through. If you keep trying to ho- you know, catch it in the net, you haven't, you just haven't realized it's just impossible. So I don't have to think about that. I want, oh, oh, maybe it's the holes are too big. It just is obvious. Similar thing, when we're practicing impairments, effectively what we're doing, and I really mean in the effect of what we're doing, is that we're uh, attenuating the push and pull. And the same with anatta practice, actually the same with any of what I would call insight way of looking. It's a deliberate, moment-to-moment, impr- a, a, a moment sustained attenuating of the, of the push and pull with, with all phenomena or, or just a certain set of phenomena that you've pre-circumscribed. So that's the second way. A third way is also going back to this, this other element we've already pinpointed, the one taste. If everything has one taste as its kind of kind of most salient characteristic, I don't need It's all the same. It's like I'm not going to choose this molecule of water over that molecule of water to drink. It's all just water, and so where's the p- where? What's my reason for push and pull? So I'm not talking about living your life that way. That would be, um, utterly, utterly stupid. Um, but but I'm I actually it's some people then get the idea that Buddhists are supposed to sort of have that attitude to everything, and it and it's anyway. I'm talking about a, a meditation practice that one does for a period of time for the sake of seeing what the results are because it's telling, uh, A, it's opening up a beautiful, beautiful resource and space, but B, it's going to tell me something about emptiness and dependent rising, which is the most liberating insight or range or realm of insight that I can have. But if, if I, in some way or other, practice perceiving things um, in uh, Mahayana with equality, there's equality, everything is the same somehow, Either everything has the taste of love, or it has the taste of this peacefulness. But everything is that. Then just that perception. There's no. There's no differentiation. There's nothing to hook any reason to push this away and pull pull that. Do you understand? Does it make sense? So that's another way. That's what, what one might practice in meditation. Um, but in a way. Most of that, those second and third, the deliberately practicing attenuating the push and pull, and the sort of one taste, um, in a way they're sort of more insight practices. um, Primarily on this retreat, if we talk about how how does the push-pull get attenuated so that the peacefulness can arise, it's primarily through um, the second jhana and the satisfaction that comes there. Okay, so same deal with the third jhana, with mastery and everything that we're, we've been talking about that. The different elements of mastery, which you already know, and, and the issues of pacing, like when is it the right time for me to play with trying some of that? When is it premature? Um, am I being too heavy with it? Or can I keep it very light and very much like a game? You know. Um, can now we've expanded our possibilities for leapfrog, and ping pong um, you can jump let 's say you 've been in the third jar and then you can jump to the first and then the third and first that 's ping pong first third first, third, but it 's also leap so it 's a leap ping pong do you, do you see <laughs> um, or you know three one, three one, three, one, three two to i don 't know, but you get the idea you can you start to move in any permutation and combination. Uh, just at the end of sittings, for fun, you are exercising the malleability of ways of looking, and, and it is an element of mastery. So including going out of any genre at all. You just let's just go back to a kind of normal consciousness, and then jump from there to the second or the third, or whatever it is. So these are little games you can have in the last five or ten minutes, if there is the batteries left. Yeah, if there is energy, energy left. Okay, so... Let's let's stop there and um, have a bit of quiet together. Thank you everybody, so, um <coughs> like I said, if um, I'll move my interviews to seven, I, I try and be as on time as I can, but um, hopefully you can be just a little bit patient if that's not, not exact, so, uh, okay, tea time, so enjoy tea.